Hi, and welcome to Ahead of the Cloud, Coval's podcast on SD-WAN, SASE, multi-cloud networking, and other next-generation networking technologies. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's probably become the most frequently discussed topic when we speak with customers and prospects recently. And it's this whole topic around work from anywhere and hybrid work, and specifically what that's going to do to the enterprise network. And I think before we get into that topic, we're really looking at something that's quite different to what we saw at the beginning of last year. So in March of last year, we saw enterprises almost overnight have to reinvent how their networks were going to work. They had to get connectivity up very quickly to support remote workers and get them productive within typically hours or days at best. And that was a very tactical approach that most enterprises took. And there was a lot of variance there in terms of their success with that, depending on whether they were cloud native or very cloud oriented enterprises or not to begin with. But what we're starting to see now is that we're kind of past all of that. And we're looking at a scenario where enterprises are looking at probably something more complex. They're looking at more of a permanent work from anywhere model. They're looking at how can they deal with this scenario where they're going to have some users in an office all the time, some never in an office, some that are in an office two or three days a week and delivering a consistent user experience across that user base accessing the same applications no matter where they're working and so on, and really looking at how they build a sustainable model for that enterprise network to support that type of pattern. So that's the topic we wanted to go into a bit of detail on today. I'm joined again by Tim Sullivan, my co-founder, partner, and CEO of CoEvolve. And Tim, I think it's a, it's a pretty timely topic for us to be discussing, right? <laughs> it is indeed. Thanks for having me, Kieran. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, uh, I'm pleased I'm working from home this morning, given this is a 7am recording from this end. So nice to uh, not have a commute this morning. But I've got to tell you, I am really looking forward to getting back out and visiting clients and visiting uh, teammates and visiting partners. Uh, this time of year, normally we'd be uh, over in California. Sure. Uh, VMworld is next week. And this time of year, we're normally together in a pre, pre-COVID world, but uh, looking forward to uh, getting back out there in the real world too. Couldn't agree more. And uh, I think a lot of enterprises of all types and sizes are are feeling that need to have something more than just the 100% remote mode of operation, which I guess is triggering a lot of a lot of what we're talking about here. So maybe that's a good place to start. So you know, in the introduction there, I talked about just this model becoming more of the new normal and a permanent solution being needed. And that's certainly the perspective that I've seen with a lot of US-based enterprises, that they see this as being something that they're going to need to support and get right. And it it drives hiring patterns and the ability to attract talent and so on. Is that the perspective that you see in the Australia and APAC market as well? Or are you seeing any nuances to that in terms of this being anything other than a permanent part of the the model going forward? Oh, for sure. Um, You know, COVID has stretched the world out of shape and and the world is going to come back to some of these practices of travel and, and the rest, as we say. But Uh, It's been stretched out of shape and it's never going to return to exactly that same pre-pandemic shape. Um, So, you know, the topic of distributed uh, workforce and distributed employees, distributed consultants and contractors and partners um, is really key. So, you know, in your last podcast, you talked about distributed workloads in the multi-cloud world, um, but absolutely in terms of where the users are coming in, you know, that's completely distributed. So this hybrid way of working is absolutely here to stay. Right. I totally agree with that. And I think when we start to look at what's going to change as a result of that, I think it really has to start with how enterprises actually buy these networks in the first place. And 
I think that's a change that that we've certainly started to see even before the uh, maybe the acceleration of some of these trends with COVID. But we've definitely seen a move away from that traditional procurement model where you buy you know large private networks, you know lots of uh, you know single sourced agreements and so on, and have that all driven through a single provider to deliver the whole network. We've certainly seen the beginnings of more enterprises breaking that apart and looking at uh, alternative sourcing models and more of an internet centric model. Is that something you see is uh, really starting to change? And do you see the, the change in working patterns really driving the changes yet in how these enterprises are buying networks? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think there was a real scramble in 2020 for the first um, you know, handful of months to make sure that the bare necessities were in place. But now that uh, these distributed work patterns, uh, hybrid ways of working are really entrenched, and they've got a lot of advantages. Uh, you know, we uh, we you know sometimes think of the disadvantages of not being able to travel, for example, to uh, an industry conference that you know we get to sort of catch up with key um, collaborators, with our partners and our teammates based in different countries and the like. Um, but there's a lot of other advantages to this hybrid way of work as well. So um, being able to access talent everywhere, uh, being able to really embrace the flexibility. Um, in that sort of two-way street that flexibility should be with uh, the team that you're working with, uh, really focusing on outputs uh, and outcomes more. You know, so there's a lot of advantages to this hybrid way of working. Um, and yeah, I couldn't agree more that um, the way the branch offices will morph and change as a result of these hybrid uh, patterns, um, you know, is really uh, bedding in now. And I think companies are really now starting to go, okay, the old way of sourcing networking security just, just no longer works in this much more fluid, much more um, variable world that we live in. Um, so absolutely, you know, the, uh, the branch sites are, uh, you know, are really morphing and, and keen to sort of talk about that topic yeah. more. Yeah, so you don't think the branch office is dead just yet then? You think there's a, there's a future for that <laughs> and you think you're, there's still going to be, um, enterprise networks are still going to be measured by their you know, offices that they're you know, connecting and as well as just the users themselves. Do you see that being as, as important as before? Yeah, so I think it'll force a rethink of those office locations 100%, and that's a good thing. Um, so I think they'll become more collaboration hubs. So, uh, you, know, you know, the business of refurbishing offices, I think, is, is going to be really uh, going through a significant um, period of growth uh, as companies sort of look at a lot of those you know, hot desking uh, workstations where people would come in and, you know, do isolated, you know, individual work uh, and make, you know, much more use of that valuable real estate for that sort of collaboration hubs and sort of really, you know, whiteboarding and digital uh, technologies enabling better teamwork so that absolutely you make use of that asynchronous time in the, the home office. But then, you know, when you do choose to uh, come into uh, a, a shared facility with your teammates, then you're much more intentional about it. So, you know, I think the office time will vary a lot. Um, you know, I think there'll be companies talking more about, you know, really intelligent corporate retreats. So I think, you know, sort of remote on-sites where uh, you don't necessarily go to the office, but you've got a, a shared location that you gather as a team, you know, for a once a quarter, really team bonding session, um, swap new strategies and ideas and brainstorming sessions that uh, you know, sometimes really do lend themselves to a live session because we're all human at the end of the day. So there's, uh, you know, there's only so much we want to be uh, you know, working uh, remotely 100% of the time. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's certainly 
aligns really well with a lot of the conversations I've had with um, with prospects recently as well, where they're talking about making that time in the office more valuable and more uh, you know, purposeful, as you said. You know, there's a real real reason to be there. There's uh, specific meetings you want to have, and that's going to drive the need for better technology platforms to support that because not everybody is always going to be in that one place all the time, but they're going to look to make it a rewarding experience for the people that are in that room, in that building, as well as the people that are happen to be remote that day or because that's just part of their working model. So I think it's going to cause that sort of a rethink across both the applications and underlying infrastructure then to support those applications, just because that's going to become the expectation across many different industries. Exactly. And you and I have had some great conversations, say, with Peter at VMware, one of our key yeah. partners. Uh, so Peter runs um, the APAC uh, VeloCloud, formerly VeloCloud, now VMware SD-WAN business unit. And we've had some great conversations, the three of us, about um, you know how these patterns are changing and what that means for the connectivity. Uh, he pointed me to a, a really good um, observer of that sort of remote first culture, working culture, and all of the human practices that go around the technology. The technology's got to work, and we'll get back to that. But um, it comes down to the sort of uh, the human interactions as well. So uh, Chris Hurd uh, is, is a really good writer on um, on these topics. So uh, I follow him on Twitter at, uh, at Chris underscore Hurd, H-E-R-D. And, um, you know, I think he really makes some really valid points about um, what from the old uh, office space culture is good and what was broken anyway, uh, what from travel patterns and the like um, really did need to change and will continue to be different. Um, and then what are some of the things that we do need to do together? Because at the end of the day, uh, the technology's just got to be seamless, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, really, you've just got to take out more friction from the process at the same time as enhancing security end to end. And that's what some of these technologies are all about, right? That's it, absolutely. And uh, speaking of technology, you, you hear a lot of... Um, silver bullets, you know, it's magical solutions that technology vendors have brought out to the market to help address this. And I think that's become one of the big challenges for enterprises is really sort of sifting through that noise to understand what's real, what's not, you know, what's, you know, potentially a transformative technology, but maybe not quite ready yet and so on. But in the middle of all of that, the, the technology that comes up again and again as being just really well aligned to this model is this SASE model or secure access service edge. And that seems to be the direction that many of the former SD-WAN vendors and now more of the SASE vendors are starting to go down as, as one of the potential architectures that can help support this hybrid workforce where you've got users in offices, you've got users working remotely and offering that consistent experience across the two. What, what do you think of that? Do you think that's real? Do you really think this can make a difference to enterprises that are looking for the, the foundational technology to support this model? <laughs> Yeah, as if the industry needs another acronym, right? right? Absolutely. <laughs> but no, seriously, there is some really interesting technology trends going on here that really are addressing this uh, distributed workforce set of requirements that continues to change um, really fluidly. Um, so if we think about, you know, what SASE uh, stands for, you know, it's, it's all about the convergence of network and security into one software-defined architecture. So really being able to address a number of requirements and the SD-WAN, the Software Defined Wide Area Networking is, is absolutely a, an important building block and enabler for the SASE technologies. And SASE really, you know, as you say, you know, secure access that talks to the security side that's being converged. And then the service edge talks about that network edge. So security and networking coming together. 
Um, and, you know, there's other key principles as well, you know, principles of zero trust. So, you know, yet another acronym that's getting bandied around is ZTNA or ZTNA. I, I think that one actually sounds better with an Americanized Z <laughs> than a, an English Z. But, um, you know, seriously, again, you know, zero trust is a really important security principle to embed and to build into your technology strategy. Um, but, you know, vendors need to be very careful about just bandying around these terms without sort of really breaking them down to the client and sort of really expressing it in the client's um, terms. So I wouldn't mind throwing the question back to you, you know, do you sort of see a, a couple of core components or, you know, a simple definition of SASE? You know, what, what's it mean to you, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. It, in many ways, I see some of the same patterns emerging that happened in the early days of SD-WAN where in the absence of a official definition and something that's very, very rigid, you see a lot of the vendors adopting it as their own and overnight their product becomes a sassy product. And if you dig under the surface a little bit, you find that, well, maybe some of it is, but it's, it's not quite there. And I think there's, um, there's a lot of value from the enterprise perspective in looking at it as a set of, of core principles in terms of what a sassy solution really should look like or should contain. And then you can match that against the existence or not of those capabilities across a lot of the vendor products in the market. And I think there's, there's a, uh, several key components to it. One of them is definitely the ability to uh, move things that used to be based on appliances and you know, specific physical boxes in the network into a cloud-based service. And the most obvious of those is you know, something like a secure web gateway, where traditionally you'd send that traffic through an appliance at a site, or you'd backhaul it somewhere else. Now we're seeing that being subscribed to in the cloud as a service and then pops around the world able to provide that piece of functionality. Things like supporting remote users and remote access traffic. Again, traditionally, you'd bring them into a remote access appliance or router somewhere in the network. Now under the SASE model, you can take that into any number of different entry points across the network. So it's moving it away from something that was very much geared towards an on-premises model into something where it's delivered more like a, a software as a service model where it's typically licensed per user and you can have lots of different uh, mechanisms for those users to tap into those services that now sit inside the cloud network as opposed to sitting on a specific appliance at a specific office. So I think if you can look at the solutions that are out there, the ones that have gone down the path of adopting all of the, the sort of key principles of the SASE architecture really can add a lot of value to the enterprise, uh, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of vaporware out there. There's a lot of marketing hype around it as well with some of the other vendors. So it's an area that I think the, the enterprise can benefit from scrutinizing really carefully to make sure that they don't end up with something that isn't complete yet or doesn't have all the capabilities that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, really looking at the pedigree of the solutions on the ground out there in the field for these clients and getting away from the architecture as there's scores of uh, companies clamouring for a space in this sassy uh, trend, you know, which has Gartner, I think, correctly say, you know, is very much, you know, approaching the peak of the uh, hype phase uh, and is yet to really go through the, the re realities of a lot of on-the-ground testing in, uh, in many vendors' cases. Yeah. So I think there's a real difference in where the different vendors really are as opposed to what their uh, marketing materials may say, uh, may, how, how they may position it. I think so. And... I think the other thing to keep in mind is also just the alignment. You know, there's great discussions in, in the SASE space now around this convergence of network and security. But the reality is a lot of enterprises aren't ready yet to 
buy all of those services in one consolidated way from one single vendor in a single product. So I think you're going to see a lot of enterprises that sort of dip their toe into the water here. They want to take on a handful of the capabilities and then over time when there's a refresh needed on some equipment, then maybe they turn on some other components of that as well. So I think despite the fact that the vendor community might want this to be a big bang approach where the, you know, the whole set of services get signed up for right, on, right from the beginning, a lot of enterprises I think are going to be much more cautious about it and just aligned with where their own procurement cycles are. And this is often, in many cases, it's the first dip into any sort of convergence between network and security that a lot of the enterprises have. So they're not quite ready to do the whole thing just yet. They want to do it piecemeal in many cases. Exactly right. And you know, it's obvious, you know, people, you know, clients don't want a multitude of point solutions. Uh, but as you say, they may have incumbent services, contracts, you know, requirements that are today met across a couple of different vendors. So really phasing that in in the way that's appropriate for them and also with vendors that have the real maturity and the real strengths. You know, we talk about SD-WAN being a foundational aspect of SASE. So you've got some security vendors who, for example, have glossed over some of the fundamental, um, you know, uh, functions and features of SD-WAN yep. and are sort of, you know, really just focused on the security messaging uh, all of which is important, but, you know, really are you looking at all of those elements that you referred to before? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So let's maybe look at how CoEvolve is helping enterprises that have, you know, a lot of the same challenges we're talking about here. They've got, you know, work from anywhere models. They've got users sitting at home, sitting in offices and mix, mixtures of the two in many cases. So, you know, how does CoEvolve help enterprises that find themselves in that position? And why does the approach that we take really differ from some of the more, maybe more traditional alternatives that exist out there? Or why is this a model that enterprises should look at adopting? Yeah, and Kovov does have some really relevant experience here. So our specialty is helping enterprises adopt these next generation sure. network and securities technologies. So we do have a lot of pedigree in, you know, what the early days are like, those innovator to early adopter stages, you know, as it starts to mature and go from early adopter to early majority. So we've got a background in working with the technologies at an early stage, but never sort of forcing that upon the client and recognising that one client may still be on an elongated assess phase of their network lifecycle. You know, the next customer might be ready to get into the deployment phase and do real world testing and the like. Uh, and then another client may be able to move quicker and may have less incumbent infrastructure that they've got to um, you know, migrate off. So, um, so really that's our pedigree, is sort of bridging between the old and the new technologies. So a couple of real world examples to sort of get beyond the acronyms yeah. as we say, mate. So um, let me, you know, I can think of three examples that, are, that I think are really relevant to go into a little bit of background on. So um, one is a really valued client that we've been working with since 2015, Rotary Engineering. So um, Singapore headquartered, but they've got thousands of users um, spread across Asia Pac, um, spread across Middle East as well. So really distributed yeah. users. Um, and, uh, you know, what we've done with them is back in 2018, we migrated from a WAN optimization as a service uh, network covering those, uh, that branch network to then uh, a Cato Networks solution. So back in 2018, you know, we were absolutely working with the SASE approach, even before Gartner then coined that yeah. term in, uh, later on in 2019. Um, and I think Shlomo Kramer and the Cato Networks team deserve a huge amount of kudos for being 
really, I think, the category-defining company for this SASE space. As I say, you know, long before they had that vision of converged network and security, long before the industry term got uh, coined in, in 2019. So Carl was working with uh, Cato Networks 2017, really doing the assessment ourselves of making sure that we really understood the team, the technology, a lot of pedigree and security, um, how it really was taking the best of the SD-WAN world and converged security. Um, so 2018, we rolled out that network for uh, rotary engineering and it had remote users built into that one integrated solution from the get-go, um, spanning users in, as I say, Middle East, across mm -hmm. Asia, etc. So in some pretty interesting countries, you know, places like Saudi Arabia, you know, where, um, you know, performance and telco costs have been historically challenging. So, um, you know, so that's a, a lot of pedigree, um, you know, and, and that solution continued to evolve over time. So, for example, they had some India users who then, through COVID, um, really needed to be able to adapt and work from home. So being able to flex that solution between the branch office and the remote users um, almost in real time as the needs of the business changed, you know, uh, is a really good example. And that's an example that, you know, as I say, dates back from 2018. So that's a level of experience that the team has with, um, you know, with that technology. Um, another example I wanted to use was a really valued client here, uh, headquartered in Australia this time, um, CXC Global. So they work with contingent workforces um, on a global basis. So they've got something like about 30 offices around the world, very, very global, spread across um, probably about four or five continents, I'm guessing. I don't know the exact country uh, count off the top of my head, but a very global business. Um, and again, you know, that notion of working, again, Cato Networks was the preferred vendor technology partner we worked with there, but really taking them through that assess, deploy phase um, a couple of years ago, and then being able to ramp up remote users uh, as COVID hit and they really needed to, to sort of reshape the, the needs of the business. Uh, more recently, uh, another Singapore head office company who's a client of ours, Boardroom. So they offer corporate services um, to enterprise uh, customers. And, you know, they were sort of looking across different geographies that were at very different stages of lockdown and the like. And this is really dynamic uh, and just continues to change, uh, you know, really rapidly, even just this week in Singapore, uh, where, where Boardroom are headquartered. Um, the government announced an extended um, home-based learning for all the students, uh, the kids. So we all know what, you know, uh, supervising kids yeah. is like uh, <laughs> working from home in amongst your work, work, working day. Um, so being able to, again, sort of cater for a thousand users um, and sort of really think about how to modulate the branch infrastructure that was required or was being less utilised through um, the height of COVID lockdown and ramping up the remote users was, you know, was a really uh, key aspect to, you know, to why Boardroom made that change to co-evolve and a SASE based approach. So there's a couple of uh, examples of sort of taking these acronyms and sort of putting them into the field and having multiple years of, you know, really diverse experience. I think the key point there is probably the multiple years experience. There's a lot of new entrants into this space and they've sort of appeared on the scene almost overnight, but they don't have that track record or pedigree, as you've said, in terms of having done this for, for quite some time. And what I think is probably most interesting is that in many cases, the deployments that we've got out there and we've supported for our clients predate the definition of some of these industry terms like SASE, where we started to see that term come onto the scene and, and become 
something that a lot of hype was uh, was being driven around. And we took a step back and realized, well, that's actually what we've got out there already. In many cases, we've had it out there for two or three years where it was just the way we were delivering these networks. And you know, I can think of a really good example of that where uh, we worked with a US-based client called Smith Amundsen. So a law firm based, you know, centered primarily around the Midwest in the US where we transitioned them away from a legacy network into an SD-WAN solution. So they got all the benefits that came with um, aggregating links and increasing the availability at their at their offices and supporting these knowledge workers that were sitting at these locations. But then we extended that further to support this more hybrid model that they wanted to adopt. And this is long before COVID and the, the work from home uh, mandates that became uh, very common last year. They just wanted to have the flexibility so that their lawyers could work just as well in the office as they could externally. So they moved away from traditional appliances that were deployed in their in their data centers to a solution that we provided and integrated from Zscaler where we could support all of the uh, the connectivity for the users when they were in the office and apply consistent security policies and so on. But we could also use that same app on their devices to provide more of a zero trust model for when the users were outside the office and they could have exactly the same access to their applications and really deliver that in a very positive way so they could see just a much better user experience where you didn't have to train users in having uh, a, a VPN app and connecting it and making sure you didn't forget to connect it or didn't forget to disconnect it when you came into the office and so on. So it just became a much more seamless way to support their users being anywhere really. And we've seen that model now become really valuable in the current climate where that's just what enterprises are looking for now. They want that consistent user experience regardless of where that user sits. So it's uh, definitely makes a difference from my perspective to have that experience and to be able to come to those conversations with the you know, tens of examples that we can show you know, where we've done this before. We've got you know, strong track records and results that we've delivered. So I think that definitely does make a big difference. Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, cutting through the hype, isn't it? So, you know, yeah. uh, busy enterprise teams need to understand the landscape, need to understand how these changes, as we say, the, the external forces from COVID and other business requirements are forced on them all the time. Um, so really cutting through the hype uh, is what um, is what matters and, you know, moving beyond the acronyms, uh, working with a range of vendors. So really being able to sort of um, go into real testing mode with some of our valued partners to be able to sort of really break open the, the beta versions um, and the like to really make sure that we're keeping an eye on the, the key vendors in this space and not uh, sort of be just single threaded on one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, looking at the different use cases. Um, so, for example, where does a you know high performance middle mile intercontinental backbone network as part of this offering which is part of some vendor offerings but not part of many others where does that make a difference so you know those users coming in for the engineering company i mentioned rotary engineering from the middle east or you know the other end of asia um you know making sure they're sort of hopping on to the nearest point of presence and then traversing that middle mile uh, across the oceans uh, for a consistency of performance. You know, where does that make a difference? You know, so it's taking these sort of real world issues that the clients have, understanding each of the different strengths and weaknesses of the different key vendor technologies and being able to sort of present that in a real real world way for our, for our clients. That's what matters. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. So maybe a, a more controversial question then, you know, given that that model we've talked about and you've got users that are sitting off the network, they're accessing... SaaS applications that sit off the network, there's less backhauling of traffic through the data centers and so on. 
where does the telco fit into all of this? And you know, how relevant is the traditional telco and their backbone and last mile products? How relevant are they in this more hybrid future, work from anywhere future? And probably even more importantly, do you think they can adapt to this new normal? And, and what's that future going to look like for, for maybe more traditional players like that in the industry? Yeah, I think it's challenging for them, to be honest. And we've got a lot of respect for the telcos and ISPs. You know, we work with 475 at last count of the telcos in, and ISPs in the underlay, the circuit underlay that um, uh, provides the connectivity um, to sites that we have under management, um, sites and remote users in over 80 countries now around the world. So we, we've got a lot of insight into those telcos and ISPs, but mate, I think it's challenging for them. I think Providing flexibility has always been a challenge for these big um, telco organisations, uh, particularly the sort of more incumbent telcos. Some of the challenger telcos are sort of slightly uh, less um, weighed down with legacy systems and the like. But, you know, I think that's the fundamental challenge, you know, uh, witness the telcos sort of trying to move into hosting services and then retreating from that, trying to move into infrastructure as a service um, services and then you know uh, backtracking from that as well I think being agile is, is sort of not part of their DNA so it's it's hard for them you know the network economics you know for them remain the same you know where is the density of infrastructure fiber spectrum etc that I have um, where's the next step change uh, access technology coming from um, you know what points of presence do I have so you know, I think that heavily influences the decisions of these telcos as they work with clients, you know, whether it's at a board level sort of figuring out where the next investment goes in fibre to the home or whatever it may be, 5G spectrum, etc., cetera, um, or whether it's the account team that's sort of working on a design for an RFP for a client or an upgrade for an existing client, you know, that the network economics that they have in front of them as the yep. telco, you know, really govern how that solution takes shape. Um, so I think they're probably set for some really challenging times because, you know, as we've sort of noted, as SD-WAN has evolved and SASE has evolved and will continue to evolve, these technologies are just moving at a more and more rapid pace. Yeah. And I think that's really difficult, you know, going through all the product management gates and the typical telco approval processes, um, you know, are really sort of not geared to work in that very fluid and, and, and fast-paced way. Now, some clients, I think, are happy with that situation that compromise and they're okay to be a version or two or a generation or two of technology behind where the industry is really at um, but many clients just can't live with that anymore and um, so I think you know we're fiercely telco independent uh, in how we deliver SD-WAN and how we deliver uh, SASE I think sort of telco delivered SASE has some big challenges I, I think yeah I couldn't agree more I think um just the the general trend towards more services being delivered just off the internet and less dependence on on that traditional private network is yeah it's definitely a trend that's moving against that traditional model and then you got some of the the challenges that you mentioned then just around the the lack of agility and very rigid processes and the need for that to really be able to deliver their economies of scale and so on so yeah i think there's uh, some interesting times times ahead for those businesses definitely those telcos will continue to go through different trends depending on where their vantage point is and their legacy yeah. revenues and infrastructure investments are. I think uh, quite a few of them will rebrand or carve off separate business units. Maybe the separate business unit will have a colourful name or the like. Yeah. 
um, or, or maybe, you know, some new players in that infrastructure space will emerge. I think of EXA, who uh, just recently, as the GTT divested uh, the next round of assets of fibre uh, and data centre infrastructure, and that new business was formed, private equity-backed business called EXA, and the CEO sort of very purposefully said, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a dumb pipes player. You've just got to be really good at it. And, you know, having digital processes and a real focus on delivering that, you know, I think businesses like that will actually um, find, their, find their space and be able to execute on that well, um, even if that's sort of not, you know, taking them to the far edges of the network, uh, as we say, for these distributed workloads and distributed users. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, definitely. And maybe to wrap things up, let's, you know, come all the way, you know, the other, the other end of the spectrum from the, uh, the telcos and look at, look at our business and co-evolve itself. And, you know, we've seen definitely this, uh, this general trend towards uh, work from anywhere, hybrid workforce, being able to expand talent pools and so on. How do you feel that could impact our business? Do you think that gives us the ability to look at new models in terms of how we hire people, what geographies we focus on and so on? How do you think that could impact our own our own business at Coevolve? I think it's a great opportunity. Um, yeah. So we've always embraced you know global resources. Uh, we've always had a hybrid way of working, often late you know night calls, early morning calls. Uh, you know, so we've always had a, a hybrid working pattern. When you and I started the business in 2014, we were across four countries right from the get go. You know, fast forward now to 2021, 20, uh, we're across four continents. Um, so being able to access more and more talent, um, you know, anywhere around the world is, is really exciting. So taking that to a next level, whilst we've always embraced that and had a global team, um, taking that to a next level is, is really exciting for us as we bring more and more people into our business. So for me, I think that's the sort of the single most exciting thing about being able to access talent um, on a much broader basis. Um, so it's not just about taking cost out of office space and the like. Uh, it's it's more about the upside of the human potential that we can access. Um, but you've got to do that um, carefully. You've got to be, as we said earlier in the podcast, really intentional about what's asynchronous and what's synchronous. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you bring new users into the business? A uh, good story from last week was um, uh, David started in our business Monday last week and his yeah. manager, Dan, um, uh, he and I did a welcome session. So the very first um, hour that David was in the new business was a virtual welcome from myself as CEO, sort of just providing a bit of context on the broader business and Dan uh, running APAC, managing director for APAC, providing the sort of supervisor manager role. So we did a welcome session then for about an hour and then I left David in um, in, uh, in, in uh, Dan's capable hands and the two of them did a virtual work around, walk around the office. So they sort of literally went onto Teams, sort of saw the red and the green icons and sort of went and bumped into virtually a couple of the green icons, you know, hi, you know, you got a minute, uh, you know, now I'm in the middle of something, nice to meet you, David, I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow afternoon. Or yeah, "Yeah, actually, I was just ready for a coffee break and uh, let's have a chat. And, you know, so sort of just did a virtual workaround. So I think, you know, um, being really intentional about the work practices is one thing. Um, but you've got to be doing this in a really compliant and corporately well-governed um, way of working as well. So, you know, we can access contractors or consulting companies in other countries, but we've even looked at employer of record um, services with some um, key partners who are helping us hire employees in more and more countries, uh, but making sure that we're meeting all of the uh, local regulations, all of the local reporting requirements, be it tax authorities and 
following all of the corporate secretarial requirements for um, having a business and having employees in, in those countries. So I think, um, you know, that's the world we live in. And I think, you know, different um, types of companies are going to thrive. Uh, and I think that contingent workforce, employer of record sort of set of services uh, is going to explode as people uh, access more and more talent from around the world. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it's, you know, really exciting times. It absolutely is. That's exactly the phrase I was going to use. And I think you, you bring a good level of detail there to it where it's, it's not just the, the aspiration to be able to go out and expand talent pools and so on, but there's actually a level of work that you need to do to turn that into, into reality. So you know, I think the, the businesses that go down that path are going to need to start looking at those types of services and integrating them into their business and their processes and so on. But you know, some, some great examples there. Yeah, so thanks for sharing those. Yeah. There's a lot of real world detail there. We've got a mentor who built a global business in the in the 2000s and the 90s even. Uh, and building a multinational back in those days, pre-cloud, et cetera, was, yeah. was a whole different. Uh, and he uses the phrase geography is history. And, you know, I sort of say that to our CFO and, and she'll very rightly remind me about these tax, you know, requirements, these corporate reporting requirements. Yeah. And you've got to work through all of those details really carefully to make sure. I think the final point I'd just sort of say is, you know, really understanding that flexibility is a two-way street. So, you know, the employee um, benefits from but also has challenges with, you know, the working from home environment. I think remote work burnout is a real problem. Um, sitting on Zoom calls, you know, back to back the whole day is, is very unproductive. You know, yeah. so I think there's, um, you know, a real requirement for the employer and the employee to really sort of lean into what is the best of the flexibility and also what's the worst or the downsides of the flexibility and sort of realise mm. that. You know, recognize that two-way street and I don't necessarily think there's one size fits all for that two-way street there's introverts there's extroverts there's yep. people who are new to the business people who are established a long time and been with us all seven years um, you know there's different roles that are more client facing or more um, you know in the back uh, in the back supporting functions so you know I think just sort of but leaning into that two-way street sort of flexibility mindset is you know is key uh, that's that's really good it's often easy to focus on the the technological problems and getting those pieces right and you know, really well evaluating them. But yeah, that's, I think, the, the most important piece, isn't it, that we're dealing with real people. You've got to come up with models that work at every level there, not just getting the technology right. So I think that's, uh, that's a really great way to uh, maybe wrap up the discussion for today. So Tim, thanks so much for joining. Um, this has been a really interesting discussion. And as always, you know, please feel free to reach out to us if this has prompted any questions on your side or if you'd like to talk through anything that we've uh, we've covered today in some more detail, we'd be more than happy to help. And uh, yeah, look forward to, to speaking to you again soon, Tim. And uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, topics for the next podcast. Uh, I'm sure you'll be uh, keen to get uh, volunteers for that. I do think that if I can add one final point is just the procurement process that um, supports this whole set of new requirements or evolved requirements of the work from anywhere world. Uh, and the moving technology landscape means that the process that you ran for the network or a couple of networks before that over the previous uh, years and decades even needs to evolve as well. So maybe that's a good topic for a, a podcast as well, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, it has a lot of sort of follow on themes that we could bring up from there. Yeah, good idea. Great. Well, thanks again, Tim. And uh, we'll speak soon. Take care.